Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rielsen and we're recording on a Friday afternoon, just an hour or so after Eric Tenog's press conference at Carrington. And I'm joined today just by one colleague, by Samuel Luckhurst, who's along with me for the ride. Tyrone's not here, Rich isn't here today, they're both out and about and busy doing things. But Samuel, we have the task of dissecting the week's news and, and looking ahead to the weekend's game against Bournemouth. So I'm sure we're going to have a, a fun-filled 45 minutes. We'll do our utmost. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Very, very and, good and to hear. You, I need an uh, ask with. I need an ask with you, Stephen. After <laughs> last night's result for the for the mighty two. Well, not just Thursday night, Samuel. A fantastic week of football all around. I'm sure everyone will agree. <laughs> uh, the playoff uh, semi-finals with Luton was a, a wonderful oh, game. Sheffield uh, Wednesday last night in particular. Well, wow. yeah, you can give a mention to that as well, can't you? Uh, George Smith on yeah, our yeah. desk who supports Chef Wednesday. He was at the game. Last night, and I'm sure, sure you had a night to remember because four uh, 0 down to come and win the game on penalties, unbelievable, unbelievable. But anyways, we'll, we'll unpack the week's news, um, bit of transfer chat, a bit of takeover chat, and then we'll look ahead to Bournemouth on Saturday afternoon. Obviously, an, another three pm kickoff down on the south coast. Another trip, Samuel, for you down the south coast. I know. Um, you didn't get a tan at Brighton, did you? No, and I didn't really get a tan when I went to London and walked. Uh, I, I did a fair amount of walking in London during my visit to the embassy ahead of the pre-season tour on on Wednesday, which was a very early start. But uh, it's 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 still you know London's looking pretty resplendent at the moment since the coronation, and it seemed like every tourist I walked past uh, had had an American accent as well. So the the tourism industry in in the capital is certainly booming again, and. Uh, yeah, United have played all their games there, but they are uh, they're going deepest south this week. We, we used to call it Bournemouth Southampton the the Peach Derby after Simon Peach, which he took great exception to. Uh, and and in fairness, uh, Bournemouth is is still a fair old way uh, further south than 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 Southampton. Well, if you've encountered many American tourists in London, not get used to get used to for the prepared anyways for this summer tour. Obviously, that's coming up a trip to Oslo, Edinburgh, and in America, uh, which you and Ty are embarking on. And, and Dublin we'll as well, I think. Dublin yeah. as well. There's 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 a lot. That. Yeah, we can we can touch upon that if if need be. But it seems like yeah, they're ticking all the boxes in terms of the the, the main. <laughs> fan territories apart from Asia in that there's there's going to be a game in Oslo uh, it seems I think that's the 12th or the 13th of July uh, can't I think somebody had told me the opposition but I can't quite remember now and they are looking at Dublin from for when they come back in the the, the week before the season begins because t- it looks like Ten Hag wants another double header weekend uh, as, as we had last season when you and I attended the Viacano yeah. game on the Sunday at Old Trafford and Rich was in Oslo for the Atletico Madrid game the day before. So he Ten Hag wants as many players playing, uh, fulfilling, get, getting fulfilling minutes the week before the season starts. So it's it's not a bad idea at all. But it, it it's 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 bad from our perspective because there's quite a lot of travel there. But I I suspect you'll be either going to Oslo or going to Edinburgh or going to Dublin, uh, possibly two or or three of them anyway, Stephen. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Oslo. I had a chat with our editor on the desk. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one. Um, but we'll start off with a bit of takeover chat, mm. Samuel. Um, we're just chatting before we went on air and we said, look, we'll kind of make it quick because nothing really has developed. And I guess that's kind of a story in itself. We got told this earlier this week on Wednesday or late Tuesday night that Sheikh Jassim of Qatar has made an improved bid for the club, thought to be around £5.5 billion. Um, so you just want to briefly expand on that, Samuel, and, and what you were told, obviously, and then we'll discuss the kind of the ramifications, really, because this takeover process is, is just dragging on and dragging on into the summer. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if I can expand it too much from what's already been been written, but I, the as, as plenty reported midweek. I think the story came out on Tuesday night, and I was off. And if I'm, I'm certainly not going to be rushing to to file a takeover story at that time of the night on a day off. It seems like there's a takeover story every day or every other day at the moment. But it, it, Sheikh Hassim's offer it, it remains hundred percent hundred percent purchase of the club would clear all the debt. Uh, includes a separate fund uh, directed solely at the club and the community and I think when we when we write or talk about Old Trafford and the stadium I think it's it's becoming it's it's going beyond that now like the area of Trafford I think there would be keen interest in whoever were to take over United if indeed a takeover does happen I think there would certainly be interest from the Trafford Council to see a what are you going to do for our area? Because there is a lot of space around there. There, there is potential to, to to create more around there and um, bring more tourists or and more Mancunians that way. Because of course, it's not. If if people have been to Manchester, they will realise that Old Trafford is a bit of a not a fair way, but it is quite removed from from the city centre. I remember when I went to the cricket with with a few friends last last year who'd come up from from London. And we were getting a cab to the to Old Trafford Cricket Ground, which of course is along the road from from the football stadium. And they were struck by how how, how far away it was from from the city centre. They were quite familiar with with Manchester city centre, but obviously, you know, the, the two uh, the, the the football ground and and the cricket ground are are in Trafford. So um, th- that would have to that that would have to be a conversation. And I mean, talk of the stadium. I, I did a piece on it. I think. Was it last month or late March about what could happen, certain preferences, what 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 might not happen, what people would like, what people would not like, and the the, the group that have have been hired um, to, to to look into it and have been uh, privy to those discussions, uh, they're on hold at the moment and they're not so much on tender hooks, but I suppose one or two employees are because they they live near Manchester or they they live in the north and if there's a huge project like that going on and they get the green light for it then they can set up shop here and they've they've got a pretty settled settled working life um overseeing and and being involved in the the expansion the renovation of Old Trafford but that's all on hold until what hap- until we see what happens with this strategic review as united uh, refer to it in their in, the, in their PR speak but as I said there's there's really not a lot new going on it's it's going to be by the looks of things it's going to be Sir Jim Ratcliffe or it's going to be Sheikh Hassim and that has always it's always felt that was the case though they, they've been the, the the two most public in in different ways um, candidates to, to to get the keys for United but of course there's always this possibility that the Glazer family or members of the Glazer family will stick around and 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 you know still get their dividends or, or or still you know have some investment in the club and when I say investment I don't mean that in the, the sense of you know their heart being in making Manchester United a force again I think we know that it's it's not a particularly ambiguous um, word investment to them and and their their attachment to United but it's it's not ideal for everyone concerned. Uh, the manager I think that's the point Sam transfer I mean, like targets said, yeah that it's going on still yeah. in November it's been six months gonna, yeah so it's going to be a process um 
And I guess when you look at kind of high-profile takeovers, maybe with the exception of Chelsea, I've said this before, <clears throat> in the Premier League, they usually uh, you don't really tend to hear about them. Um, this oh, the Newcastle one went public. on for eternity, didn't it? You know, you you yeah, knew that I, there wasn't going to be anything happening when there were stories with Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. Like. And if you're getting leaks in it, obviously the, the briefings and both sides are kind of preaching confidence at the moment about their respective bits. Mm. Um, but I was that kind of concerns me, and it kind of suggests, I think, anyways, that we're, we're not near to a resolution because if we were, and we're in the end zone. There'd be a non-disclosure agreement signed, and it would be more confidential, and, and legally you wouldn't be allowed to speak about it. Um, so as well, like six bums, like we say, we're rumbling on into summer now, and as you've just touched upon there, at the end of the answers, transfers. Ten Hag's obviously drawing up targets. He's, he's planning for the next season, his second year at the club. How concerning is it really that there is a degree of uncertainty still around United at the moment? Because Ten Hag knows he's got this current squad and he knows where he needs to improve, but he, I guess he doesn't know which owners are going to be there next summer, or sorry, next season. Um, and is that not a problem in, its, in itself? Well, that that does get touched upon in the embargo section of, of the press conference. We're recording this, it's just gone half one, the embargo's at half ten this evening. And he, he was asked about it last week as well, I think, when he, he indicated that he was a little bit in the dark as to the funds. Um, so, it's as I said, it's it's not it's not ideal because players who are certainly interested or certainly eager to to play for Manchester United they're going to want some clarity as to what that situation is so that they're they're not walking in blind and they're not that they're not going to make a mistake as well they want to know that the club are as as driven as they are and that they can feel fulfill their their aims at United as well and mm-hmm. when you, when you look at the the staff and the players and the relative progress that United have made this season that that is reassuring for play for those targets in essence and and Ten Hag has said that players are a lot keener to come to United this year than last year which isn't a surprise whatsoever because their stock in the transfer market last year was probably possibly lower than in 2019 where they they acknowledged it and they just decided let's sign British players and target British players and it it didn't go entirely to to plan there and it it wasn't entirely justified either that was always a pretty strange and flawed strategy and they they don't do that anymore now but for now, I think players are going to keep their powder dry. When when you're at this stage with players that are of interest to you, if if there's a risk of an auction, and I think this is one of the myths in football, you know, club a club might have a have an asset and they're considering selling him, and they decide oh there could be an auction for him. It just does not happen. If 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 I think clubs can see it a mile off. If a player is invested in signing for a certain club, they'll step away. They'll move on to a different target, and so that auction bidding doesn't I don't think it even really happens anymore I'm struggling to think of a great example in recent memory where that has happened you could maybe look at Cucurella last year where City had an offer rejected by Brighton he was desperate to leave so uh, the, 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 the clowns at Chelsea decide to bid what was it 10 million or 12 million pounds more and he turns out to be a bit of a dud and City get on get by Easily enough without an out and out left back for yet another season, and, and Brighton imagine, are having you know one of their Bowley, best do you know the, seasons. Do you know the scene? Sorry, Samuel, like with um, is it the Sunderland show on Netflix, and Stuart Donald's 
um, bidding for Will. Oh Grigg. yeah, the and the Will Grigg, the Will Grigg. Don't go above a million, Stuart. Don't go above a million. He goes, oh, he ends up paying three million on, on transfer deadline day. That's what Chelsea's strategy. Uh, Is, isn't that the, the? There's the meme of it where he says something like, "This club's going to kill me," or have I, <laughs> have I taken that from a different football-related documentary? But I'm pretty sure there's something. I, I might have to Google it afterwards, but. It's yeah, so that that doesn't really happen, but obviously United want to be certain that the funds will be there. I'm I'm pretty certain that the funds are there for a striker, which is the priority. Beyond that, new owner or not, they've got to be realistic with um, the incomings and the outgoings because there have got to be a lot of outgoings this summer. There certainly need to be, and they want there to be more outgoings than incomings, and I think that that is that is just about doable. But it would help to have clarity, and then you know, the, the, once once that's out of the road, they can they can proceed, and um, things may change for some people of the club. Club and things may not change for others. I think supporters are starting to get a bit frustrated, anyways, with the uncertainty. I'm seeing that on social media, and hopefully, a resolution is found sooner rather than later with the takeover. Um, we'll be back for part two. That's it for part one. Samuel, we'll have a, a bit of transfer chat then to begin with. You wrote the line earlier in the week that uh, Ten Hag's determined to sign a world-class striker and a world-class midfielder in the summer transfer window. Can you just expand on that for anyone who hasn't um, hasn't read the article? And it's probably not a surprise, really, is it? Because we knew he was targeting. What are they waiting for? How, yeah, exactly. how have they not read it? Exactly. Why? Disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, in, in case they didn't miss it, I well. From from Ten Hag's perspective, because United are in a stronger position now, and because Champions League qualification is is attainable, and although it might be a bit nervy in the running, they should still get it. I, he is keen to move on to a higher tier of targets than than last year. Last year, I think everybody could see what they were they were doing. There was the odd exception um, with with the midfield in that they. they they pursued Frankie Frankie de Jong. Uh, they had a fee agreed, but of course the the insurmountable obstacle were the were, were his weight was his wage deferral at Barcelona, and it was only after the Brentford game that United abandoned it and decided, look, we need a midfielder. We've been talking to Casemiro, and that's another thing about United. They do talk to uh, numerous targets uh, concurrently, so that if one one deal collapses they've got someone else there who they have they are they remain engaged with and it's not like they just turn to them at the at, at the 11th hour because those players their their negotiation position is a lot is a lot stronger that said Casemiro was pretty pretty strong given that he got about 300 grand from a week from United as part of his package but that was the exception in that he, he genuinely did want a new challenge. But you look at the other players, they, they there were three from the Eredivisie. Uh, Christian Eriksen was known to Ten Hag because he'd trained with Ajax last year as well. I don't think that's going to happen as much this year. And th- there was that compromise as well in January in that uh, Valt Verkhorst, who I think was born in the same area as, as Ten Hag in the Netherlands, he's the, he's the stopgap striker who comes in as well because United didn't have any money to spend so they were never going to go for Cody Gakpo and if they had somehow financed a deal for Gakpo it would have completely compromised what they could do in a summer where 
Ten Hag would like Harry Kane and Victor Osserman is also of, of interest to United, among others. But where United's stock should be higher in the transfer market, Ten Hag sees that as, you know, that that's that's permission for him to you know to tell the the, the power brokers that we need a, a higher caliber of player rather than potential and certainly uh, Lisandro Martinez, although he wasn't particularly young when he signed, it was it was about potential there because he'd only played in the Netherlands. It was certainly the case with Anthony as well. And also with Tyrell Malassia, uh, that the three of the four fees paid last summer were for players of potential. Casemiro was the only exception there. Eriksson was, of course, um, uh, a free agent at that point. So that's why Ten Hag wants to aim high because he, he knows that if United are to re- achieve their their end goal of of winning the title, which that's what it has to be, they need better players. So logically you would go after better players and if you can do that then that's that, that's even better and the chances are they will be able to do that because they'll have Champions League football to offer they've got a coach there who is, is very widely respected and has had a very good first season so far and could still oversee a very successful run-in uh, there's there's clarity over a number of players in their roles as well and and what United want as a squad going forward so United are not the difficult sell that they were last year but it's still yeah the the, the profile of the players that Ten Hag really admires as I said Kane, Osman, De Jong, Bellingham probably all of them they are they are long shots uh, for, for various reasons. See out of that list and obviously you think I, I still consider Kane quite attainable I mean You've got Levy at Tottenham, but then the other names. I think if they really, really want Kane, I think this is the summer where where you get him because of his contract situation and because Tottenham. I mean, it was so so typical of Tottenham earlier in the week when they announced this. There will be a mural to Harry Kane at the final home game of the season, and the way it read, it was like this is our farewell to Harry Kane, which it may well be, but they. They obviously want people to recognise it as a celebration of his goal scoring feat, but the way it read, it was like this this guy's on his way, but we need to you know, we need to flock at his feet because he's been he's been a great player for the club. And I think there has to come a point now. Maybe Kane has learnt his lesson from a couple of years ago where he did that chat with Gary Neville on his podcast and then it it was you know, pro, it was briefed that yeah, he definitely does want out. And because that was seen as an unbecoming way of going about it, and let's face it, him and his brother were humiliated because they thought they were going to get what they wanted, and they didn't get anywhere near to getting uh, that move to Manchester City because they were dealing with Daniel Levy, and he was only halfway through a six-year contract. This summer, I, I suppose Kane is is he's trying to be a lot more respectful, but there will have to come a point where he does push a little bit more, and if that's privately, then so be it but some of the things he says that he's been saying recently it's yeah, I think he's just placating supporters there but you you have to take him at face value uh, I, I suppose you can't rule anything out with his brother still his agent because he was the one who decided it was a great idea to, to agree to a six-year contract in 2018 and I, I maintain you look at the situation Spurs were in at the time they had a brilliant team of course but they just they bottled it again in the second successive FA Cup semi-final against United. They were 1-0 up, they lost 2-1 and they 
and that was the point where there was people starting to say, look, this Tottenham team is really good, but they're, just, they're still not winning anything. So it did seem pretty excessive at the time to agree to a six-year contract. And he, he does risk you know, missing out on, 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 on things to win in his career. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens this summer. I, I don't see that being, I mean, what's going to be resolved sooner, United's ownership or Harry Kane's future. It's, it's a toss of a coin, that one. To be fair, if he wants to go abroad, I'm not complaining because Alan Shearer's record, goal-scoring record at the top of the Premier League will be protected because I think inevitably he will break that if he stays in the league. Um, he's, he's very, very close. He's very close. I was looking at that the other year and I was thinking, is he going to do it? And I just feel it's inevitable now, uh, sadly. Samuel, I, we did a panel actually when you were in, I think it was on Tuesday, it was before you did that transfer line, when uh, me, Tyrone and Liam, we looked at the three positions we would prioritise. Now, I guess striker, is the obvious one it goes without saying and then midfield but I wrote more specifically a number six would be for me I think Ericsson's started to look a bit um, maybe lacking of legs in games and I think Leggy, if you get a younger yeah. midfielder yeah um, he's been subbed be I, 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 um, for the piece did for the morning he's been subbed 21 times in the second half this season Ericsson yeah. He's just turned 31, Which that's not actually surprising. Yeah. So, I mean, a player like Dijon would obviously be perfect, but you've just discussed his wage deferral. I was looking a bit into that again, and it's still got two years remaining on that. So you'd think that could still be an issue in uh, negotiations this summer. But I'd prioritise, obviously, striker and number six. And then for me, the third one, if I was restricted to just three, it would be a goalkeeper. Um, we've talked about David De Gea at Lems, obviously, on this podcast, and especially in the last few weeks after blunders against Sevilla and against West Ham. And I just feel... Another season with De Gea, I thought, I thought they could have got away with it maybe um, and, and kind of prioritised somewhere else. But I think it's become a bit more of a pressing matter. And I think he'll hold the club back and uh, 10 August rebuild next season if he stays. So if I flip it around to you and say your three priorities, if you could, if you have to narrow it down to three, I presume you'll be in agreement with a striker and a centre midfielder. Um, what would be the third? I'd probably be in agreement with you on that, even though it's, it's unrealistic and... If there is a goalkeeping addition, it's difficult to see it being a clear standout number one. And look, we're going quite a way back here. But United have have done that before. The the summer that, and this, crack it was twenty years ago now almost. But when they signed Tim Howard from, I'm not sure if the club even still exists or maybe they've been rebranded. But I think it was the New Jersey club or something like that in in America. They had Fabian Bartes and Roy Carroll in, in, on their books and both of them were international goalkeepers and reasonably experienced. And Howard came in and nobody really saw him as the standout number one, but he had a pretty good pre-season. And then he just he, he um, started the, the competitive season and, and that was it. But up until, I'd say up until his mistake for the Costinha goal in the... I mean, everybody probably remembers it, the, the the Porto game where Mourinho goes charging up the touchline, his his breakthrough moment in his in his managerial career, if you like, even though he'd won the UEFA Cup the previous year. Up until then, Howard was the outright number one. After that point, even that run into the season, Roy Carroll started the FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal and then Howard started the final against, um, against Millwall and... I can't remember, did, did Carroll even come on in it? I th he might have done, just to just to say, you know, you've played your part and we want you to, to contribute for it. I can't quite remember that, but I think that might have happened out of fairness. 
Um, I'm going to look it up now. But And then the following season, it was even more even between them. Uh, there was too much chopping and changing. There wasn't, wasn't enough clarity. So it has happened before with United where they have got a goalkeeper in who has not been an obvious number one choice. And then he does become the number one, but then he reverts to your expectations of him. And then United are chopping and changing. And that that went on for best part of 18 months until Edwin I mean, van der Sar came fair to in. Say, it's not been a seamless transition from... He Ashton did, sorry. Howard did come off in the cup final. Yeah, well Carroll got After, six minutes or so. Yeah, there was trouble replacing Schmeichel. There was trouble, obviously, with van der Sar when De Gea first came in. You know, And it, it's, it seems like a almost a problem that keeps on happening every decade. And, so, and that I was guess. the thing with De Gea, I suppose, position. more relevant, more relevantly with, with De Gea. Uh, the same year he joined United, Anders Lindegaard joined. And for a period, Lindegaard was the first choice goalkeeper. I think it was only when he got injured in the late January of 2012 that De Gea got in the team again and he had a clear run and he stayed in the team for the rest of the season. But that was only because of injury to, to Lindegaard. So there have been occasions in... I mean, quite distant pass, but it but De Gea was part of it. That United will have two goalkeepers and they'll look to chop and change. But I just I, I've never ever agreed with that. I, I I mean England did it years and years ago with I think Ray Clements and Peter Shilton, and you thought maybe United were going to do it when they signed Victor Valdez. If if De Gea somehow stuck around when they were desperate for De Gea to stick around as well in 2015 and of course you know Valdez is it's easy to forget he ever played for United but I just I don't see this summer being the summer where United go and sign an outright number one goalkeeper as I did the story last week I think about Bart Verbruggen uh, the the Anderlecht goalie uh, who's only 20 so if you're bringing him in you're just kind of it would be a case of getting him warmed up before he you know, he gets into the driver's seat possibly, uh, but I don't. I just, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that starting next season with De Gea would be the right call. And and maybe but I can see it happening though. Maybe Ten Hag. <laughs> yeah, of course, every, everyone yeah. everyone can see it happening. <laughs> maybe Ten Hag is is genuinely intending on giving Dean Henderson a go. And let's face it, because of Henderson's thigh surgery, he's it, it's not as much for foregone conclusion that he's going to be sold or loaned out again in the summer because I think Ty said it last week there aren't going to be many goalkeepers in late July or early August in need of a number one goalkeeper and when you whittle down the the clubs that Henderson could join that's an even narrower field so there's a chance that he's going to be stuck at United again but perhaps it will be a blessing and he'll get his he'll get his turn uh, his, his proper turn to, to take over from De Gea. I could see Nottingham Forest uh, coming back in from actually, whether that be a loan or a permanent deal. I know Steve Cooper yeah. rates him quite highly from what he says and he's stayed with him uh, while he's recovering from this. And you'd think Cooper would want that continuity as well, well exactly. given exactly. the amount of player turnover they've had over the last uh, couple of transfer windows. Which is quite incredible. Is it 20 players or something like that and across the season, which is amazing. At least, think I think, it. yeah. He's, he's managed to keep them up as well by the looks of things. I'll not say too soon. Um, but that point at Chelsea was very important for Forrest. Samuel, a bit of news to come out of the club today. It was obviously Phil Jones was uh, set to leave officially at the end of the season um, after the expiry of his contract. He obviously joined 
in 2011 from Blackburn Rovers. He won the Premier League in, in Fergie's last season, Ferguson's last season, I should say. Um, he wrote a bit of a classy letter. It was nice to see, an emotional letter. Um, how would you summarise his time at the club, I guess, because the, obviously the overriding thing is he's just been so unfortunate with injuries, hasn't he? His body's let him down, and I guess the last few years, it's been a shame to see, um, but it's probably been quite remarkable that he's lasted this long. Um, but obviously his time's now coming to an end. It was it was almost the never-ending Manchester United career. Uh, I mean, he's twelve years is an extraordinary amount of time. And longest-serving player normally, in the squad. Obviously, De Gea's next after after well, Jones. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a similar time, isn't it? That they 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 joined uh, in in the summer of twenty eleven. But when you consider that in twelve years he's played for United, he's his appearances his, his appearance number I think it's two hundred twenty nine. That tells you how how injury prone he's been and this chronic knee problem credit to him last season he seemed to be fit for the majority of it but everybody knew his race was run at that point and he had a sensational start to his United career when they the start of that 2011-12 season when they they beat Tottenham 3-0 uh, annihilated Arsenal 8-2 thrash Bolton 5-0 and Jones, I think he played most of those games at right back and he, he looked a hell of a player and then he had a stint in midfield later on in that season, looked pretty decent there as well. But the injury started coming that season. I think he missed pretty much the first half of the next season. And obviously you, you say, oh, he's a Premier League winner, FA Cup winner, Europa League winner and da 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 I think in the FA Cup run in 2016, I don't think he actually played in any of the games. In the Europa League, I think he played in maybe two games and only one in the knockout. And in the season that United won the league, most, if not all, of his um, uh, his performances, sorry, his appearances in the league that season were in the second half of the season. And I think United won the league with something like four games to spare as well. And I think he probably played in all four of those games as well uh, in in the running. So his contribution to the triumphs while he's been at the club has been minimal really um, it, you would not look back at any of those wins in the cups or, um, or or the league and say he was absolutely integral to their to, to their success that season uh, there, there was there were maybe one or two games when they last won the league I, I remember he did I think a man marking job on Maran Fellaini when United played Everton and he did quite well but I mean that's that's just going off my almost worthless knowledge of of Manchester United that I'm drawing on to try and um, get your eggheads to give him his kudos. Some quiz, show, uh, yeah, some specialist quiz. Master, I, I think trigger. I think I think mastermind. I'd I'd um, the, the, the specialist <laughs> subject bit would be a doddle if I uh, if I did that. I I think I'd bank all my points there before getting onto the general knowledge bit and and struggling slightly more. So ultimately, that that contract he got in. Uh, February 2019 I remember it was it was one of those rare occasions as well where they actually handed out the press release uh, there, were, there were hard copies of a press release hot off the press and it was a statement and I remember shaking my head at the time thinking why have they done this because his previous contract ran out in the summer of 2019 and there was an option to extend it for a year until 2020 and even his advisors were amazed that United had approached them and said we want to negotiate an entirely new contract for Phil Jones because they thought his 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 deal will be extended and then we'll see how we get on in the summer and 
why United didn't do that, I've no idea. They, whoever, if, if ever that question is answered, there will not be a rational explanation for it. And unfortunately for United, it's it's the most egregious example of a contract renewal during, you know, probably in, in the club's history. And that seems something considering the... Uh... Yeah, Ro- Rojo, Rojo really does run him close. <laughs> Rojo in, in March 2018, that was... Uh, th- that was another certifiable decision, but not as... I think that aged terribly. At the time, it didn't seem like such a terrible idea because he, he, he'd done pretty well under Mourinho and he'd come back and done okay from his injury. Uh, but then he just he barely played and he, I think they tried to sell him in that, in that summer as well. But the Jones one is the most infamous because he should have been released in 2020. Uh, yeah. They could have released him in 2019, so they literally could have released him four years earlier than than they're doing so. And um, I suspect they've only just announced it now because uh, I did the story about players being released earlier in the week, and the club have subsequently confirmed that two of them are are being released. Uh, Ethan Galbraith being the other. I wonder if he'll end up playing for for Austria then. I wonder if he's got any long lost Austrian relatives because. Ranjik didn't mind playing him, did he, last season? Uh, it was at Liverpool. Oh, Phil Jones. <laughs> he, he did not know. He was, he was unlucky to come off at half-time against no, he Liverpool. Really he, well, he, was, he? He, did. he was. He did. He had a pretty good game against Wolves, but unfortunately, Phil Jones being Phil Jones, I think he still assisted. Was it Jao Moutinho's winning goal? It might have been. Um, but he was United's best player that evening. And then the Liverpool game, he was made the fall guy for a disastrous first half when he wasn't. He wasn't the worst performer on the pitch. Uh, there were probably every other outfield teammate was a, more of a prime candidate to be to be taken off in in that particular disaster. One thing I will say before we move on as well, I think it was in late twenty twenty one actually when he did the interview. I think it was with the Times, and he did enough with the Guardian last year, basically talking about the mental struggle of being injured. And we just we discussed that on this podcast, I remember, um, and the, the kind of the slack that he's dealt with and his, how tough it is going through rehab. And it's obviously yeah. very mentally tough. He does get well paid, oh, yeah. um, but the, the the suffering you have to go through football, if your body is really letting you down, and the mental trauma that must cause, is obviously coming through the end of that. And hopefully, hopefully, he has a, a good last chapter in his career. So best of luck to Phil Jones. Yeah, it was it was it was a it was a really good interview with with John the Northcroft in, yeah, in the Sunday Times it was, it was when Northcroft. when that came out. I think it was in the September at the start of last season because he just um, he just started playing for the under twenty ones and. That that's the thing about him hanging around at United. You can't you can't pin that on him. Uh, he he wasn't the one who exactly. yeah. you know, arranged his own contract for himself. He he was the one who was handed that contract. And if Man United just decide to give you a a four 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 year four and a half year contract uh, at the age of how old would he have been then? He'd have been. You say thank you, Edward. I'll take that. I'll sign. You it. say thank you. Yeah, you and I'll absolutely. I'll join yeah. my remaining years. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that that's that's not on him. Uh, and yeah, ho- hopefully United have learned their lesson. But whether Phil Jones actually plays again, I think that's that's got to be very much in in doubt. Sadly for him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, we'll leave it there for part two, Samuel. Back in a moment for part three for some Bournemouth chat. Now, Samuel, an absolutely thrilling game on Saturday afternoon. We've got Bournemouth. But it is obviously very important because Newcastle um, got three points on Thursday night, which takes them up to third position. And United need six points to secure a top four finish. Um, 
they've struggled on the road this season, probably not against teams of, of Bournemouth's calibre, they've been alright, but against better sides they've had a tendency to underperform. So I was looking at the kind of the fixtures, you have obviously Chelsea and Fulham remaining. Do you think this game could potentially be the banana skin in that run? Although one side of it says it's Bournemouth and they are safe. They've obviously got their status uh, insured for next season in the top flight. So it could kind of go one of two ways. They could be on the beach and, the, you know, it just doesn't really matter. But the other side of it says, look, it's the crowd are going to be up for it. Probably it's Manchester United coming. Um, they're in the Premier League next season, which has been a, a resounding success. He's done a great job, O'Neill. Um, yeah, it has. So, what, yeah, how do you think that's going to develop really on, on Saturday? Is it a banana skin or is it a game that United should win quite comfortably? Because on paper they should. Um, but Bournemouth might might play with a bit of freedom, mightn't they? Now they're, now they're safe. There's an element of jeopardy with all of these final league matches for United and that with Bournemouth it's the infamous away record even though against the bottom eight teams they've they've won six of them away from home the the one they slipped up with was was at West Ham and they they actually started that game quite well until De Gea's howler and then after that they were they were dreadful and West Ham completely deserved to win Chelsea it's almost like you know we're, we're dragging you down with us if, if we're not having a we're not in the Champions League next season. We're going to take you with us. Uh, there's the possibility of that, even though Chelsea are dreadful and United should be winning that game. And, and you look at Fulham and you wonder, will there be a, an appetite for revenge after Fulham's implosion during the FA Cup game and, and the Mitrovic suspension? And, and Mitrovic will play in that game as well, of course. He, he came back last week and he, he got a goal, didn't he, in the, in the win at Southampton. But ultimately... United should be getting they should be getting six points at the minimum which is what what they need to qualify for the Champions League from these these final three games it, it feels like there's a core squad that Ten Hag has got to work with now for the remaining four matches provided there are no more setbacks and they unfortunately for them they've had one already Rashford has reported uh, ill today and it's it's uncertain whether he'll actually travel to Bournemouth the team are due to to fly there today so maybe we'll have some clarification and, and people will know whether he has gone or not by the time they've listened to this but I think it was about 27 players tra- uh, trained in, in midweek which is an ample amount to cover a, a full-sided training game that McTominay was back which was well-timed especially as Sabitz is out for the season Rashford was back as well and it's it's not like this illness if it keeps him out against Bournemouth you expect him to be back for, for the games next week and Ten Hag really needs some consistency now because although you look at McTominay and you you don't see him as someone who's necessarily going to start in any of these games coming up, maybe the Fulham one if United have already qualified for the Champions League, but his his robustness and his um, you know his his physique and his stamina is going to be important in certain games and. Mainly, you've you've got the FA Cup final on the mind as well, and it's been impossible since City wiped the floor off Real Madrid on Wednesday night not to look ahead to the FA Cup final. Even though United have got some really important games in the league coming up, and they need to they need to secure Champions League qualification, which I'm sure some of the some of the suits at the club who sit in the boardroom they will they will view that if if they if they absolutely had to choose they would they would take getting into the Champions League next season over winning the first all Manchester FA Cup final but Bournemouth have done very well there's they've they've tailed off in their last couple of games but by looking at that 
the highlights of the Chelsea game, they they seemed pretty unfortunate to to lose that. It seemed that Chelsea had a couple of slices of luck and um, and certainly rode their luck to to win that one three one. By the time of the Palace game last week, Bournemouth knew they were safe. So you just you relax automatically, and we saw it with Wolves and their performance at United. Even though that game wasn't done until the 94th minute with Garnacho's goal, that was more down to the fact that United were were profligate again and they have they must have one of the worst shot conversion rates in in the league the amount of chances they have in games but i suppose it was a it was a belated takeaway from from the wolves game but what was but thinking about it more now was that united actually got a lot stronger as that game went on and you haven't seen that from them and you certainly didn't see it in the defeats at west ham and brighton where they became more and more fatigued the longer the game went on whereas at wolves the substitutions helped. There was a freshness about them. Garnacho comes back into the team. He gets his goal as well. So United are in a they're in a much better state now for these weekend matches than they were two or three weeks ago. And although it would have been great for them to have got to another European final, and they won't publicly admit it privately, they must be pretty pleased that they've not had to just negotiate a two-legged European semi-final with Juventus ahead of potentially uh, what would have been a, a final against Jose Mourinho's Roma which would have interrupted FA Cup final week I mean those three games not having those three games that that United need to ensure that they, they capitalise on that and they they, they maximise these these three midweeks It's uh, one less game but it would have been a fantastic final wouldn't it with uh, Mourinho coming back and another year would have been a lot finals. of work as well yeah it would have been it would have been so you're probably thankful for that but uh no he's done another he's done a great job from Mourinho. back-to-back finals uh conference league obviously i like i like what he's doing he's he's back in these his mode of his first season at united where he just looks at the league and he thinks you know this we're not bothering with the league let's put it all in on the europa league and if we win that then that's that's a that's a did truly you, did great you see the statistics season. from the game I, it was Look, a very on-brand second leg semi-final <laughs> was, performance from a Mourinho team. Yeah. 75% yeah. possession for Leverkusen. All the shots. I don't think Roma had a shot on target. Maybe, maybe they had one. Um, but still the, the man can mix one. it up. He can mix yeah, it up, can't he? Outstanding. Yeah. Uh, changes for Bournemouth then, Samuel. Uh, for my panel, I've already submitted it. I'd, obviously, if he's fit, providing he's fit, I'd have Rashford back. Um, at the expense of Jadon Sancho on the left, Martial and Anthony uh, for the remainder of the attacking players. And I'd also well, I'd keep this, the team the same uh, with the exception of Dallow. I'd probably bring him into the defence. I know we've talked about it a lot as well, the kind of chopping and changing between the two right-backs. But as I said, lads, it's Bournemouth. You can have a, a full-back of a, a bit more attacking quality. And I think Dallow obviously brings that to the side. So uh, were you going to make any changes from that from the Wolves win? Because it was, as you said, it was very comfortable in the end, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, if if Rashford is is fit enough to to play, then then you play him. And I can't see Sancho starting. I don't think he should start. If if Rashford is is if Rashford doesn't even tra- travel, I wouldn't start Sancho. I'd be bringing Garnacho into the team. And yeah, I agree. With that. I think Marshall. I, I I think Marshall is is kept just going off his. He, he got a goal last week. He. He didn't do much else. He, he should have been played in early on by Anthony when he he had his first shot and and it was on to to, to put Marshall in for for one on one. But you've got to. I think it would be prudent to try and seize on the fact that Marshall has scored and see if he can um, he can keep that up. 
he's he's got experience of of playing at Bournemouth as well and sometimes that can be overestimated sometimes it can be it can be useful uh but i i think i agree with you what you said about being more front-footed with with Dallo coming in i i'd go along with that and the only other the only other change would be what what happens with the the left wing um if if Rashford is fit start Rashford if he doesn't travel, then I'd I'd go with Garnacho. Uh, that, that's that's been the that must be a frustration for Ten Hag that he's got, including Marshall as well. Even though Marshall doesn't doesn't play on the left uh, very often at all these days, but those three players, Martial, Sancho, and Garnacho, they've all been better off the bench this season. I think last week Marshall's goal it was only the third goal in fifteen starts for United this season, and with Garnacho that's completely forgivable because he's he's only 18 and this has been a he's had a tremendous 18 months and he's had a tremendous season as well the the development um the rate of his development and it really i think we've sp- spoke before about quality and character what i like about him is that a lot of wingers in that age group at united that have had a look at the first team and seen rashford and seen sancho and when he was available they'd have seen greenwood They've seen Marshall, another winger, and then in the summer they sign Anthony for, for eighty-five and a half million, and they'd have been ground down by that. But Garnacho is completely unfazed by it. He he wants to take his chance. He wants to make his name in the United team, and Sancho is pretty much at the back of the queue now uh, for for the left winger's role, and Garnacho is doing his utmost to to, to nail down the first team spot and th- there are a couple of really good challenges for him now that he's got his new contract it's about performing as a starter and if you perform as a starter you you remain a starter in the side so uh, if, if Rashford doesn't travel I'd, I'd be excited to see and I'd hope from a purely professional perspective um, that, that it's Garnacho who's starting because he he gets he gets fans off their seats you hear the seats at Old Trafford clattering whenever he gets on the ball he's is he, he's a Man United winger in the truest sense, and you you hope for his sake and United's sake he, he doesn't fall the way of Yanazai because there are some you know, some very obvious parallels there between the two of them. I think Garnacho is is maybe a more complete player, and he's got a more stable environment to work in, but he's he's still got to he's got to keep his feet on the ground, and he he, he certainly knows his worth, but he's he's backed it up pretty well so far this season. Well, I mean, it's this time last year, it was probably around this day, actually, maybe a week before, it was just the FA Cup, FA Youth Cup final, sorry, against Nottingham Forest. Yeah, it was. And we, yeah. we obviously went to a few of those games, he was talismanic, he almost kind of had this aura around him, playing for the under-18s, and he's kind of just made that transition to the first team quite quite flawlessly, actually, and it's been so impressive. And you're right, like he does have that aura, doesn't he? Obviously, he has got that confidence, and that's, that's quite endearing, actually. He obviously believes in his own ability, and he's backing it up at the moment. To come into that team at 18 yes. years old and to yeah. perform so well, it's it's fantastic to see. And obviously this year would only be his, uh, his under 21 year, usually, with, with normal progression, which is obviously worth noting. Um, we'll leave it there, mm-hmm. Samuel. Are you down on train or, or car tomorrow? No, I believe it's... Um, Is it the private jet? It's, it's myself and Ty. Yeah, not the private jet. Do you know what? Some, some colleagues are actually looking at flying down to London for the cup final due to the, um, the, the rail strike um kerfuffle there i think kerfuffle's putting it mildly i can't repeat what a colleague said when uh, a colleague had actually booked their train down on the friday uh and then of course 
yesterday's news that there was going to be a strike on the Friday as well. They weren't aware of that until someone informed them today, and I can't repeat um, what what they said in the in the Carrington press room. But but some are genuinely looking at maybe flying down to London for the FA Cup final due well, to for the, the for um, the Carabao Cup final. I had friends obviously that were going down, and it's, it's, I think the train prices were extortionate. They ended up going driving up to Edinburgh and flying from Edinburgh, and it was it was dirt cheap. It's absurd. How can a flight be cheaper for Edinburgh to London than a train from, from Newcastle to London? It's a strange world we're living in. It is. It is. Uh, but no, but, my, myself and Ty are, are driving down uh, in the same vehicle tomorrow. Well, so I was going to say the it'll be a long day, but at least we'll have driver, company. Samuel. I did offer last time. Was it was <laughs> your trip to Spain. I can't remember who it was against. I think I think when Ty when Ty was saying how are you getting down to Bournemouth, I think we were both like, oh, do, you know, do we, do we have to do this really? Um, but this this is this is the job, you know. You put in a, a lot of a lot of miles, and uh, yeah, as as you will know, I think with a couple of pre-season games, I'd imagine as well. Even pre-season games, they can be taxing. Uh, to make it even better though, Samuel, we've got another trip to Bournemouth uh, next season because they'll be back. I know, yeah, we're, we're, all, uh, we're all absolutely delighted. <laughs> we'll yeah, we're delighted that. that they stayed up and that Leeds are going down and Leicester might go down and Forest could go down. You know, these easy trips that are just, just to the Midlands or to Yorkshire. And unfortunately, we've not had a great deal of luck and uh, we can't be too harsh about Southampton with, with, with Simon Peach being Could such be a... Um, can't kick a man with his Such down. an amiable colleague. I know, yeah, exactly. 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 Uh, thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. A pleasure as always. And thanks to the listeners. Uh, head across to the YouTube channel. We're taking over nicely with subscribers at the moment. And as usual, check out the Spotify, Apple and all the other good audio platforms to hear the podcast. An extra bit of content from Ericsson Hogg's press conferences will also be uploaded over there. Thank you very much and have a great weekend. Take care.